Matthew and chapter 21. Tonight, when I have, or well not tonight, it's late this afternoon, isn't it? When I have a look at miracles and I guess the question, why? You know, well, I would actually say, why not? But, um, we're just going to have a, a brief look at miracles, look at a few of them and maybe just, uh, either reveal a few things to us or just refresh a few things to us or uh, whatever it is. It's such a vital part of our life in the Lord. Just while you're finding Matthew chapter 22, uh, in, in most descriptions, in most dictionaries and so forth, a miracle is an action or an event believed to be caused by God which is impossible according to the ordinary laws of nature. You know, what we know, uh, what as we, we get older and we start to understand things about gravity and, and a whole range of things that govern our lives, um, miracles go against all that law and all that infrastructure. And, uh, and I guess too, when Jesus came, in case I forget to mention this later, when Jesus came, there's many things he came to do. He, of course, he came to die and to rise again that we might have newness of life and live forever. But I think he also came to show us a different way, to show us not just a, a way of morality and, and goodness and all of these. He didn't just come to give us the authority over the power of the word and so forth to preach the gospel. But I think he came to show us there's a different world, there's a different realm, there's God's completely different to us, he's a spirit. And there's not any of us alive would know what that really means. We read it, we have uh, some understanding, but you've never seen a spirit, we're never going to understand with our natural thinking what this is all about. And miracles really dwell, if you like, in this other, in this other structure. And that's what Jesus was talking about in a lot of the things that he said and he did, just to create hope and an opportunity for us all. Uh, that every now and again we just might line it all up and glimpse into this other world and claim these amazing miracles and victories that we do. And as I look around the room, I see them everywhere. We've all got a testimony of these wonderful things that the Lord has done for us. Um, just before we start reading there in Hebrews 2.4, if you're taking notes, it says, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers or different miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. And of course, if we read at the end of Mark 16, these signs will follow them that believe. But we'll start reading here Matthew 21, just a couple of verses. Start in verse 20. Matthew 21, verse 20. It says, And when the disciples saw it, so this is after the, uh, the fig tree had withered after uh, Jesus spoke to it, it says, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do uh, this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, you shall be cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, Believing, you shall receive. And I think sometimes we struggle with that. You know, we, we pray and sometimes we don't seem to take the victories and so forth. And, and then we have this battle within our thoughts and within our mind between what Jesus encouraged us to see and what our, this thing bolted behind our eyeballs allows us to see. And it's going to be a battle all the time for us. But what Jesus is doing is encouraging us 
to see above all these things, to know that they exist and to believe and thereby to put ourselves in a place where we can continue to claim these wonderful things. So the Lord wanted to introduce us to those things, so he did many of them. I'm just going to look at a few here tonight. We'll go to Matthew 14. Matthew chapter 14. All ones that we know very well, perhaps just a slightly different look at a couple of them, just a bit of a reminder about some things on some of them, but we'll just have a look. <clears throat> so I'm not going not gonna to read this first part, but in Matthew 14, from verses 14 through 21, we read there about how he fed the 5,000. But um, I just want to read the, the end of that story in verse 20. Oh, sorry, I'll read verse 19 and 20. So this is Matthew 14. And it says, And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke, gave the loaves to his disciples, the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up the fragments that remained, twelve baskets full. And it says, And they that had eaten were about five thousand men besides women and children. So possibly around twenty thousand or more people partook of these two things here. There's uh, just the fish and the loaves, a small amount. A greater amount was left over at the end in the baskets and everybody took their fill. Now this is not possible. We know these things are not possible. But under the power of God, I mean... I guess we get a bit of a glimpse right at the beginning and God said, let there be light. Now we don't understand that, but we can see the light and we either have to believe that it accidentally happened, some microbes crashed into each other and away it all goes, or the Bible is true and in the beginning God. And we know that to be the case, of course, because we're spirit-filled and we understand these things. So from this introduction point here, I want to read on into verse 22. And it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out unto them, walking on the sea. Now we all know this isn't possible, you know, and I, I often wonder whether where Jesus was walking on the water, was it calm there? Was it like a little calm roadway where he walked? Or was it still all over the place like it was with the boat? But Jesus didn't doubt. Jesus is pure faith. Jesus is able to bend all these laws by the power of God and to do things that we can only dream of sometimes, I guess. But these are written here for a reason that we might believe, and we'll read on. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is of the Spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And I think sometimes in all the miracles we're looking for, particularly the healing victories that we're looking for, be not afraid is probably one of the hardest things, but one of the most necessary things is just to rest and not to be afraid. Because even if we die, we win, and all the people said, 
And I think if we can somehow adjust our thinking, if that's at all possible, to put ourselves in a really good place. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come onto the water. And he said, come. So all he said to him was, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? You just think about that. We've read this. I've been in the Lord nearly 40 years. I don't know how many hundreds of times I've heard this story and I never tire of it. You can just imagine Peter just getting down there, just walking off across the water to Jesus. You think this is the stuff that's available to us in a moment when we can believe and to think like we heard today, to think the way that Jesus thinks. And it says, But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And I guess the first time I ever read that, I thought Jesus was sort of barking this at him. you know. But he's not. He's almost pleading with him. You got started. You took those first steps. What changed? I didn't. Your faith was what let you down. You started to look at the problem again and just sank into the water. And when he was come into the boat, of course everything ceased and everything settled down and everything was wonderful for them. Just going to see where we're going to go here. So I want to go to verse 34. We're going to start reading there. And when they were gone out, they came to the land of that place. And when the men of that place had had knowledge of him, they sent out unto him... All the con- uh, uh, all that sorry all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Now we're going to uh, I'm not sure whether we're coming back in or we're going to go to Matthew nine, but in the in the meantime, just come over to Hebrews four with that thought: as many as touched his garment. The things that we have read up till now and the other things that we're going to read afterwards were in Jesus' lifetime. Uh, they're while he's alive in most cases. And they're also, as I said, in amongst all of it, he's talking about a time in their lifetime while he's talking to them and it's being recorded. He's talking about a time which would come in the future, which is the time that we live in, when the Holy Spirit would be available and things that weren't available before would be available now and they are to you and I. And we were talking there about all of those that touched his hem. And so we'll read here in, um, in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched. There it is there, same thing. Cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities what was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's the encouragement. This is a big part of why Jesus came. Surely to save our soul. Surely to put things in place. But surely to encourage us to see another realm, another place, another way a place where we can have these wonderful victories that we get. Chapter 9 of Matthew we'll go to. And we'll start reading, just for a bit of uh, lead into it, we'll start reading in verse 16. 
Jesus is finished, finishing off talking about some other uh, matters. But in verse 16 he said, No man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment, for that which is put in uh, to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they must put new wine in new bottles, and both are preserved. And of course there's many ways we could look at these things and so forth, but Jesus again is talking to a time which would come several years after the time of this writing, that men would be born again, and we would have new things put inside of us, the Holy Ghost, and all these sorts of things. But I think he's leading in here also about this different way of thinking, about this different way of approaching these things when we look at them. Not with what we understand from how we grew up, but what we understand by being born again. And it starts in verse 18. We're going to read a few things here. While he spake these things, behold, there came a certain ruler, worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Now this man knew, but don't ask me how, but somehow this man had this amazing confidence that even though she was dead, that Jesus could come and restore this situation, that things could be made better if Jesus came. Of course, there's this interruption here, verse 20. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him, touched the hem of his garment, and said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about. When he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith has made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And again, we've looked at this in great uh, depth before, these, uh, some of these things we haven't got time tonight. But this woman had been like this for a long time. As she'd seen doctors, she'd exhausted all the natural things. But at this stage, at this time, she knew that if she could just somehow get her hand through the crowd and touch him, everything would be good. Everything would be okay. And again, that's the, that's the headspace, if you like, that Jesus wants for each and every one of us. And he realistically said, it wasn't touching me, it was your faith that made you whole. The fact that you believed that if you could get near me, everything would be different for you. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house, so we're back to the story we were reading before, and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. You know, much like we are hearing today, of the things that Pastor David looked at from the scriptures. There's two completely different ways of looking at everything. This man knew that if Jesus had come, everything would be good, but the people round about his life there in the room laughed him to scorn. And I love the way in the, in the King James particularly, there's little indicators about what we need to do sometimes. And when the people were put forth, you know, the doubt, the mockery, the negative aspects were put outside of the room and he took her by the hand and said, May, maid, arise. And she arose. Exactly like that man believed. Praise the Lord, everything was made well uh, for this young lady. And we go on to verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, so he left this situation, <coughs> excuse me, 
Two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Our son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this. And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. And so he was just asked the question, I mean, you wouldn't imagine um, how you could come to that, that you're born blind and you've never seen or any of these things, but how you would have the faith, the confidence, the boldness that this man, this man that they couldn't even see but had heard that is walking the streets in these areas and so forth and that amazing things were happening. They argued over whether he was the son of God or not. For everyone that loved him, there's someone who wanted to kill him. But amongst all of that, these men knew. They said, Yea, Lord. And he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, be it so. And their eyes were opened. You know, it's a wondrous thing. It's an amazing thing. And I think as I look around the room and I see miracles in your lives and miracles in my life, we know exactly what it's talking about. Oh, that we could get it right every time. You know, that's the wonder of it all, I think, is it's all being done in this mortal body. You know, this earthen vessel is where the majesty of God is. And it's still a clash at times between our thoughts, our natural ways, the things that we've been educated of. By the way, I mean, we have to understand the laws of living on the planet. You know, gravity, don't cross the road when the cars are coming, you know, all this sort of stuff. Doctors tell you you're going to die, so you do that and you go ahead and die. You know, and all these sorts of things. We understand that's how our brain works. But what Jesus is saying here, if we can see through that to this different place, there's incredible things open there for us. And we all know because we all experience them. Um, the Gospel of Mark in chapter 9. I'm so glad that miracles do exist for us in this life because surely we have hope from the moment we're spirit-filled. We have hope, um, hopefully for for all of us, but uh, certainly for the bulk of us. Uh, I don't want to die any more than you do, but the, the horror and the the, um, the darkness, if you like, of death no longer lingers on us. We know that if we go to sleep, Jesus will come, we'll rise to meet him in the air and all those sorts of things. But in the meantime that there can be an answer. This is the only single reason, we say it often in, when we're praying with people, the only reason Jesus took stripes was for these victories. He had to die that we could be born again. He had to die that we'd be uh, forgiven. But they could have just taken him perfectly well and killed him. And that would have been it. But he took these stripes so we can win these victories and for us to know that they're there. So here in Mark 9 and in verse 17. It says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I poured unto thee my son, which has the dumb or a speechless spirit. Wherever he taketh him, he teareth him, he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spoke to the disciples, they could cast him out, and they could not. And he answered, he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. And I wonder if in, in part in this he's saying, I'm going to have to go soon. You're going to have to try and get this right yourselves. Is kind of what he's talking about here. At this stage, of course, the disciples weren't spirit-filled, but they had been given special ability, special power, special authority to go forth. We can read about elsewhere in the scriptures. And they brought him unto him, 
And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, this is this young man, and he fell on the ground, and he wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And I have mentioned before in these, I'll read on, hang on. It says, oft times it's cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I've often said, when we bring this passage up, it takes a minute or two to read it, but this was their life. From sunup to sundown, this poor man watching this poor child go through this every day. You know, and, and we know that there's people in our midst and there's people that maybe live next door or wherever that go through the most terrible things day after day after day and there never seems any end to it all. But there is an end, there is a conclusion, there is hope and a possibility. Jesus said unto him, If thou can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And straightway the father of the child cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And there's a lot of wisdom, I think, and a lot of power in that statement that we all believe. You wouldn't be sitting in the seat you're sitting in now listening to me if you didn't believe. And we all believe because we've been healed one way or another of many, many things and we have a testimony. But at times we struggle. As soon as we say, but what if? We're not there. You know, somehow if we can just pray and read and fellowship and rejoice and encourage one another and massage ourselves back into a place where we can see into that other place again. Look at the miracles all around you. They're everywhere. People that, are, that we know dearly uh, with great miracles and great victories. Um, yeah, anyway, we know for the rest of that story for time. We know that, of course, uh, things were made amazingly different for this family, for this man uh, and his child there. Um, just for time, we'll go to um, Luke 17. Just a few things to finish on. And I was wanting to look at the miracles here. Of course, there's just so many, and each and every one of them uh, are wondrous things to look at. And even when they're repeated in one of the other um, one of the other um, gospels here, of course. They're amazing just to, to read and to reread, and sometimes they're just a few words, but they've got so much power and wonder in these things. Here's another one in Luke 17, and starting in verse 11, which is just over the page for me. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And I guess it's really hard for us uh, in this country to understand again uh, these people that were lepers. Leprosy is not common in our communities. But I guess if uh, if you've seen some of the old uh, Bible things, you know, Ben-Hur, for example, or um, the Ten Commandments, you know, whatever, that portrayed these things. And for a few minutes... You can look at these people cast out in rags, their difficult, terrible health conditions and so on. They had no, I mean, apart from the disease itself, they're banished from general society and everything. It would just do your head in to be like these people were. And they lift, uh, sorry, lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, our Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, 
Go show yourselves to the priests. And I thought the one the time I read that, I thought, what a dumb thing to say. You know, they can't go till they're made well. They're standing there as lepers, and he says, go and show yourselves. And it says, and it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. You know? And I think, there again is just this, there was no, they didn't stop and argue the point, just the same as Peter didn't ask how to walk on the water, he just stepped out of the boat and did it. And uh, as we're able to find this place, uh, again, we'll be able to see all of these things. Um, what did we get to? Yeah, the rest of the story, again, we're, we're quite familiar that one of them, of course, came back and gave glory and received even more of the Lord, which was wonderful. So I'll look at a few things here. We're just going to go to John chapter 20. Encourage all of us, perhaps, in the next few weeks, just to... Um, from the internet, if we can do it in the Bible uh, app or whatever, just find all of the miracles, the list of the miracles uh, throughout the different places and that, and just reread them again. And I think sometimes when you read them all together, one after the other, it can be very fulfilling to have another look. But here in John 20, and in verse 30, of course, uh, we read here, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. So we know that so many things that Jesus must have done in that three and a half years. You don't sort of envisage him just doing Thursday afternoons or something. You know, it would have been from the time he got up in the morning to the time he went to bed at night, it would have been, you know, preaching the gospel and all that, but just people coming in droves all the time to this amazing man. And then you just stop and think about what we heard today about the Pharisees and so forth. I remember when he raised um, Lazarus, wasn't it? He raised Lazarus. And in the next chapter, they're trying to work out how they can kill him. You know? Oh, it's just amazing. You wonder about the mentality, you know? So these things, they're not written in this book, but verse 31 tells us, but these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And what a wonderful thing this is. This is not just inhaling and exhaling. That happens the moment you get on the backside as a little baby and in and out goes the air. That's life. But what they're talking about here is true life. True life with access to everything that God's got for us. True access to life eternal. And true access to a better life now in this body as we wait for Jesus to come. And in the next chapter, again, just in case we didn't understand that, the last verse, verse 25, said, Then there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written of what Jesus did. As I said, Jesus was pure faith. He was the word of God made flesh. He'd come from heaven. He, I think... And I've said before, I think that's the first time we're going to truly understand what we're involved in, is, is after ruling and reigning and that the new Jerusalem, when we finally get to see it all, I think we're going to truly understand what Jesus did, that he came from that to get you and to get me. I just want to go to Isaiah, just two scriptures to finish. Isaiah chapter 7. Just a couple of verses to finish on. <coughs> One of the really important things, I think, when we're talking about miracles and amazement 
is that the entire existence of Jesus Christ and our belief and our trust and our hope and all of that that we've got hinges on two miracles. We'll have a look at the first one here just being mentioned in Isaiah chapter 7 and in verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now there's the first one, that a virgin would have a, this child and that he would be the son of God. That's the opening miracle. That's where all of this started with Jesus Christ. And then I want to go to First Peter in chapter 1. And towards the back of the Bible, First Peter, chapter 1. So much we could read here. Um, um, I'm going to start reading in verse 19, actually. So we're in First uh, Peter, chapter 1, verse 19. It's talking here about you know the traditions of men and so forth and so on and, all, and th- how things used to be. But it says, With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. There's the second miracle. He got risen from the dead. Now it's just amazing. I mean, these, thing, these two things can't happen. The virgin birth and raising from the dead. But Jesus came into the world one way, left by the hands of man, rose again to be at the right hand of the Father. And I think the thing that I'm truly grateful for, as I know we all are, is this wouldn't mean diddly squats if we didn't speak in tongues. Not, you wouldn't, we wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be here. If it was just believe and suck it up till the end, I'd have been gone 35 years ago. But that day I spoke in tongues. That was the new world that we enter into. Our eyes unfortunately see all the rest of the rubbish and that can impact on us. But I think if we can just get aside, just seek the Lord, try as best we can not to doubt, not to worry, and just to see that this has all been done. Jesus said it is finished. He did it all. It's all in place. It's all there on the shelves for us to claim the victories. And I'm looking forward to hearing plenty more from all the people said. Amen.